0: Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, they find they they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They are bound by what is popular, or at least their sense of it. They can only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. Right now it's easy to be dour about Illinois. The land of Lincoln has huge debt problems, lagging growth, corrupt governments at every level, and people are fleeing the state. Matt Paprocki is trying to change that. He's the president of the Illinois Policy Institute, a free market think tank in the state.
1: Matt, welcome. James, thanks for having me, excited to be here. Uh, what are the challenges facing Illinois? Oh my gosh, is it? it's a little early in the morning, I think, to start drinking. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, there's plenty of challenges. Right. And I think you you outlined quite a few of them. Uh, we do. I mean, we we are a leader in corruption uh, throughout the country I and mean, we've had several of our last governors go to jail. Uh, we have had more uh, aldermen, local elected officials uh, indicted of corruption than any other state in the country. Uh, and unfortunately I think these uh, the the views of what has historically been the mafia here in the city of Chicago uh, is alive and well they are just now called politicians so uh there's a lot there's a lot of uh, things that need to change here but here's what I'm gonna say I, I don't want to start with talking about the negative I think Illinois is one of the greatest cities in the world and you know as as somebody who's Chicago, uh, nearby states in the world or greatest states that's what I mean <laughs> but nearby you know in Michigan you know Chicago still very much serves as the the capital and the Mecca of the Midwest. And uh, I'm, you know, sitting in my home right now in Chicago, Illinois, uh, on a beautiful sunny day. You know, we have miles of beautiful beaches, great parks, the best restaurants in the world. Uh, This is still a world-class city. And and there's huge opportunities that we have here. But I'll tell you, James, this is worth fighting for. All right. So what are you fighting for? So there's there's a few things uh, on the horizon right now. The first and most concerning to me is uh, we have a real problem in our public school system, in our government-run schools in in Illinois, and specifically in the city of Chicago. Uh, a recent study showed that only 20% of kids can read at grade level. I mean, imagine that. Imagine that you have five kids, and you're going to go send them to the government-run schools, and you know that only one out of those five is gonna be able to read that grade level. We need to do something about that and we have to do something fast. Uh, that is why we have been huge advocates for school choice and a voucher program um, and a, a tax credit scholarship we have in the state of Illinois. We are one of the few, I'm gonna say quote unquote, blue states that has an expansive uh, uh, school choice program. And we have it here. The problem is it's set to expire at the end of the year. Uh, and we need to fight for that. There is nine thousand six hundred kids uh, who are stuck in, in 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 schools. Well, actually, they're actually in great schools now, but they'd have to go back to failing schools if this program ceases to exist. And so, one of our big programs is uh, expanding that program, giving the forty thousand kids on a waitlist an opportunity so that they can go to the school that they dream of, not the the terrible ones that are in their neighborhood right now. Uh, so, tell me about the school choice policies that you're fighting for. Well, so this is this specific one is a tax credit scholarship. It allows it allows individuals to take a seventy five percent state tax credit uh, against their income tax, and then the money goes to low income families who want to send their kids to these schools. I think the amazing uh, thing about that is, this
0: that is to say, like if they spend a dollar sending their kids to a school, uh, you get a tax credit worth seventy five percent of that.
1: Well, no, this would actually be this would be uh, uh, individual philanthropists who say, look, mm-hmm. let's go help out the poor and disadvantaged who are currently stuck in this school. So they will give money to this program, and then the administrators of this program will give money to families who are raising their hand. And I think we see very clearly there's 9,600 kids who are currently benefiting from this programming, moving from failed schools to thriving, uh, and the stories are amazing. You know there's this uh Alicia Baker who is down in the South Side um and she was at a school uh and she was 8 years old the first time she saw a classmate get shot. 8. Right and she gets done with school and this is again one of those terrible schools, you know, where none of the kids are graduating, none of them uh are able to read and write and she hears she hears two shots as she leaves school. She's with her best friend and there's all this noise, everybody's everybody's excited to be done for the day and two bullets come down and people start yelling and and everybody's scared and, and she runs back home. She runs the two blocks back to her home and she gets on her mom's lap and she's talking to her mom and she's crying, right? She just saw this horrific event happen, you know, at a place that you're supposed to be safe. And her mom said, next time you see somebody get shot at school for your own safety, don't run home to me, lay on the ground until the police get there. Wow. And when I heard this story, it, James, it broke my heart because I thought there should never be a next time, right? What we should be fighting for is all of these kids so that no mother, no father has to, ever has to tell their kids the next time your kid, a kid gets shot at your school. And, and that's really why this matters, right? Is so that kids kids like her and all of her classmates can go to school, not only that they're safe, but that can unleash their potential, Right. Not only should they be able to read and write at grade level, but they should be able to have dreams and do whatever they want. And she goes on. She ends up getting a scholarship to a school on the northwest side. She has a commute. It's an hour and a half each way, takes three trains and a bus. And she does it and she graduates and goes on to college uh, to become an anesthesiologist. Same kid, same neighborhood, different schools. And that's the, how the outcomes can change. And so we're fighting for tens of thousands of these kids, so those same outcomes can keep happening.
0: So he said that there's 9,600 kids in this program.
1: That's, that's right. Not a lot in the grand scheme of public education in Illinois. It's a drop in the bucket, right? And that's what's amazing. We have government unions, uh, public sector unions, who are trying to kill this program because they, you know, there's now an alternative. And we're seeing a huge demand in it. So 9,600 kids are fortunate enough to be able to get out of these failed schools, but there's 40,000 kids on the wait list, right? Like that is, that is the equivalent of you going over to Tiger Stadium, filling it with a bunch of little kids who all have their hands up and say, get me the heck out of this school. And that's, that's what we have right now is people are opening their eyes. They're seeing we want alternatives. Uh, and, you know, the, the government unions, uh, they don't want alternatives. They don't want to see other people thriving. They don't want to see the competition of what happens when there's quality run schools and people have opportunity.
0: So we're going to get uh, back to this debate, but I have to make a clarification. Otherwise, someone's going to yell at me, which is that, unfortunately, Tiger Stadium is no more. Uh, we moved in, we moved in the 2000s and it's called Comerica Park now. Oh, uh, I do kind of miss it a lot. I was fortunate enough to go to a bunch of games growing up in in that in that ballpark, and and it had a panache that it's uh, you know that, uh, that's kind of missing in Comerica Park. But you know that that's just one of the things. Then my panache my
1: apologies has. to all the Tigers fans <laughs> out there. I will say that uh, you know whatever I don't know what the White Sox Stadium is now called, but I still refer to it as Comiskey, which I get. Uh, I get the same commentary. It might be. Guaranteed rate field now. I think they changed so much. <laughs> We're best sticking to the old names. Yes, important bank park. <laughs> That's right.
0: That's right. All right. So, so this is the uh, uh, the fight that you're that you're going for. This is a, a key thing that uh, that your organization is engaging on. It's making sure that uh, that this tax credit program for school choice continues in the future. And you said you've already said your biggest nemesis in this fight is the teachers union. Who else is engaged on this
1: debate and, and what are they arguing? Well, I mean, on, on our side, I mean you have you have thousands of families, you have a lot of poor uh in, in marginalized communities who are fighting to extend this program and to expand it. Uh and then you have a lot of these, you know, these other great organizations who have popped up uh who administer these scholarships, who want to go help lift up these kids. On the other side, there's one. It's the Chicago Teachers Union. And this is uh, for all of your listeners who aren't familiar with the Chicago Teachers Union, uh, this is uh, one of the most hostile uh, unions in the entire nation. Uh, they regularly strike for for reasons unrelated to contracts. And uh, they striking as lo- Ill- uh, public unions is illegal in the state of Illinois, like it is in and, most places. And and they will they will continue to hold these kids hostage. And I think it's it's fascinating on. Um, You know, who are they organizing against? Right. Are they organizing against taxpayers? Are they striking against kids? And I think that's the concerning part. Uh, We we recently did a full length documentary that we released earlier this year called Local One, uh, the rise of America's most powerful teachers union. And it's called Local One because the Chicago Teachers Union was the first local one um, teachers union that popped up in the country. And what we've seen since they've, since they've stopped advocating even for teachers is they've realized that their goal is to increase their power, right? To increase the power of the union, not to help kids, not to help them read, not to go into school, college and succeed. It is how do they increase their power? And what we've seen is now in the city of Chicago, the average child that costs $30,000 to educate them. And if you are a black student in the city of Chicago, you have about an 8% chance of reading at grade level, right? And these numbers continue to go down while funding continues to go up. I would, I'd make the strong argument of funding is no longer on the table as far as you can't even make that argument after you push $30,000 and they're failing these kids. And this is the only group who's coming out against this program, uh, but they have strength, they have power, and they have an awful lot of money on their side.
0: Okay. I was going to ask, I mean, it's one teachers union in one city and it's Chicago, it's a big city, it's, but it's not all of Illinois. Why, why do they have so much power in, in Springfield, the
1: capital? Because, because they give money to all of these local officials. So there are you know, 118 members inside of the Illinois house. Uh, they are currently funding over half of them. Uh, so even if they're not in the city of Chicago, the Chicago teachers union wants to be able to push their agenda on them. This goes to, you know, this goes to the root of corruption, you know, because corruption at its core, the real word means it means rot. Right. And what we're seeing with with these public sector unions, it's it's a rot of the system. It's a rot of uh, test scores. It's a rot of educational achievement. So these don't necessarily, you know, corruption doesn't need to happen just from the lens of a politician, which certainly it does. Right. Uh, But I think that there is a huge, huge uh, amount of corruption that is currently happening with public sector unions across the country. And uh, nobody's been a better leader on that than the the Mackinac Center. I think you guys have been great leaders on that front and and educating people. But I'd encourage everybody, if you if you have not heard of it, uh, look at Local One. It shows you what radicalization of unions can do. And uh, this is not just in Illinois, but unfortunately, this is in all of our states throughout the country
0: yeah uh, that's I'm um, just gonna chew on that for uh, for a little while, which is um, the argument that I think the unions will make. it's like this is the, or sorry, this is the choice that policymakers are kind of faced with, which is um, uh, they can do what the union says, and what the union tends to want is give us more money. And maybe something better will happen is if you can yeah. finally give us that appropriate amount that's finally going to t- allow us to do what we want to do. And then somehow education is going to be better. And the yeah. other option is, well, try and find something outside of these, uh, these conventional public school districts that tend to be captured for the benefit of the teachers union or whatever politically powerful group is, is, is kind of man- uh, managing this. And that's a tough like for uh, for a lot of politicians, like those aren't great options for them. They would rather <laughs> just give money and improve educational outcomes uh, rather than trying to create this, this new system. So why did we get so far that we can't just
1: expect better outcomes from our conventional school districts? Well, I'd say it depends. It depends on what you're talking about mm-hmm. there. Because I, I don't necessarily think we need to create new systems. I think largely the systems exist. And if you have money, if you have means and wealth, uh, like the leaders in our state do, uh, you, can, you have school choice. You know, right? The governor, uh, the governor of the state of Illinois lives, lives down the street uh, from me here in Chicago. He sends his kids to private schools. Uh, the, the speaker of the house, you know, uh, down in Springfield, uh, he lives in the suburbs here in Chicago. He sends his kids to private schools. The Senate president lives over in Oak Park, sends his kids to private schools. And if you have money, that's an option for you. But if you're poor, you know, even if the even if the private school, the other options are only costing a few thousand dollars, you may not be able to afford it. And so your only option becomes going to the government run schools that live inside of your that exist inside of your district. This is fundamentally, James, where I have a huge moral problem with this, right? What we're telling these kids is it's good enough for our children but it's too good for yours, right? And I think that's where we need to make the change. I don't believe that we need to set up a new structure. I don't believe that we need to you know, create a new system. What I think we need to do is create opportunities and give kids a choice. And when they do, not only do we see them thrive in these different environments and uh, make the option which is best for their family, uh, but often we can do it at a lower cost. And I think that's exciting, right? Like that's where we have a huge opportunity, uh, not just in Illinois, but across the country. Yeah. So this is the uh, this battle
0: on school choice is you some of your friends and allied organizations on this issue versus the teachers union and you think uh, and you're arguing that it's corrupt these things are managed it's doing a uh, poor job it's wasting uh, wasting a lot of money how close are the, and I assume that this is something you guys uh, you guys pay a lot of attention to like but I assume that a lot of people in Illinois don't look at this issue the same way they don't necessarily see. Uh, the teachers union in, in Chicago being the primary villain in, in
1: education. You know, that's that's a great it's changing. The number on that is changing. So, you know, what I always focus on, what we do differently here uh, at the Illinois Policy Institute is we look at the middle of the population. You know, when you look across the country uh, in our heads, we always think, yeah, the, you know, there's there's this liberal rising that's happening throughout the country. And um, if you look at any polling, it's it's just not true. Um, uh, overall, people self-identify. Uh, the the most group is moderates. About thirty seven percent of the population identifies as moderates. The second biggest group, it's conservatives, at thirty six percent. The minority of self-identification uh, in in our in our country right now, it's liberals. It's 25% of the population. So, you know, if we if we believe in conservative values and we think that we're losing, the reason we're losing isn't because there's this rising number of liberals that are popping up. The reason that we're losing in this country is because we're not talking to the middle, the moderates, the people who, you know, it, it doesn't, they don't think about politics on their day-to-day life. And so what we did is we poll on a pretty regular basis here in, in the state of Illinois. And we always poll at, what do you guys think of uh of government unions, specifically teachers unions and on face value. You're right, James. I think most people say, well, I like my teacher, right? I remember I went to public school as a kid and Mrs. Johnson was she was lovely, right? And I and I, I liked her. Or we might have family members who are teachers. I have an aunt um, who is a public sector or a public school teacher uh, down in central Illinois, and I love her. She's uh, she's one of my favorite people in the world. And so what we see is that when we initially polled these people, uh, Chicago or teachers unions pulled at about plus 17%. What that means is 17% of the population has a more favorable opinion of unions than unfavorable. And then we showed them our documentary. So we hit this towards this moderate group of the population and said, look, this is just a middle of the road piece telling you here's the effect that teachers unions have on education. And the result is that a million people watched this documentary but more significantly, teachers' union's favorables went from plus 17% to plus, to plus 2%. And then we showed it to more people. And currently, right now in the city of Chicago, if you pull the number, uh, teachers' union poll at plus zero. And so there is room to grow. And all this is, is just explaining to them the facts of here's what the unions have done. Here's how they've risen in power. Uh, here's how they've taken more of our money as taxpayers. And here's how they've hurt, they've hurt students and outcomes.
0: All right. So... I actually want to point out a couple of things uh, that, that you've mentioned in, in your discussion, which is like, I can ask you like what you guys are doing about this issue, but I, I think you've already demonstrated a lot of things. So I, I want to point, uh, point these out because I think they're subtle things and, and, uh, and listeners ought to pay, pay attention to this, which is what think tanks tend to do on an issue is research and write about it. And some that's of right. us do some lobbying, some legislative affairs. There's a lot of things that think tanks can do. Like that's an important thing to do is to, like, to know a better policy and, and to recommend reforms to it. But here are some of the things that, that you have done just in this conversation, I assume that uh, you and your organization are doing a lot of. One is t- finding stories that tug at people's heartstrings. You told at least one of them. You've, uh, you've overviewed a, a couple of those of finding people who are really harmed by these policies. These policies that that don't necessarily uh, scream out as uh, as something that's going to tug on your heartstrings. Of a tax credit for school for school choice, it, it's not exactly something that we get wispy eyed
1: over. Yeah. All right. So I do. I do. I mean, <laughs> but and I think James, you're spot on, and I think that's the point. Is is you know, oftentimes. And I, I'm saying this is, you know, a very much a free market conservative who who fully believes the free market has lifted more people out of poverty and has completely changed the world. Uh, but really, our our views on things, it's it's the moral high ground. And I think we have a responsibility. and We haven't taken it very often in the past. But what we have to show is, is here's how it helps the poor and disadvantaged. Here's how it helps the marginalized. They're the ones that we're fighting for. And I think oftentimes, you know, when we get caught in policy, because look, you and I, I, I you, you and I could probably talk public policy and really nerd out on the, the differences uh, between states, and we could talk about those things. But the average person doesn't think about that. And I think what we need to start doing a better job at it. We we really work hard at this at Illinois Policy Institute. Is let's find these people and let's fight mm-hmm. for them. Right? It's and I think that's that's often our mantra is you know we fight for people. Not against things, and I think that's you. You very uh, you you caught that, and I uh, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. So that's that's a really important thing. I think uh, it, it's an uh, like that is, um, and I think you're doing sorry you're doing this one because or you're trying to look for people who are harmed by these uh, by these policies because you've looked at your strategy and your strategy is not just talk to people in your capital and eventually they're going to do these things. You are uh, do what you want of, uh, of keep this tax uh, this 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 voucher pro- or this uh, tax credit program alive. You're doing this because you're saying there's a villain here, and this villain's trying to get uh, get what they want. And we actually need to convince people that they're the villain. Amen. And so you found uh, you found something that I don't think any other think tank in the country does, which is found a documentary or made a documentary. Yeah. How did you get to that point that that uh, that you thought, I got to find a way to tell the story um, uh, and and make a movie
1: out of it? That's right. So what we see is, you know, the easiest thing to do when when we try to persuade people is to talk to people who agree with us. Right. It's easy to go into a group where everybody says, yes, you know, right, (laughs) James, I'm sure you and I probably agree on most things. Right. Uh, And that's what feels comfortable. Right. And so we surround ourselves with friends and, you know, colleagues who all agree the same thing. But the truth is, is that's not how you create converts. Right. You don't do it by doing, you know, preaching to people who already agree with you. Right. When when uh, when Jesus came uh, came back, he, he was up in the attic and he says, get out here and scatter. Right, go talk to people not not that agree with you. Get out here and start evangelizing to people who don't agree with you. And uh, we very much take that message to heart, and that's what we do. So, what what our first thing we do is we poll on issues. So we see where is the general population and how do they feel about that, right? Because initially, something like a tax credit scholarship, or you know, quite frankly, a, a reduction in income taxes, or how you feel about unions. Oftentimes, the public, it's just not something they engage in with their regular life. But where we see opportunities, it's not necessarily in the people who agree. It's not necessarily people who disagree. I often say uh, there's nothing harder than to persuade somebody who already has their mind made up. Uh, I I park my car. We live in the city of Chicago, so we have no driveways, right? I have a small parking spot out back that I park our uh, minivan in, and I can't convince my wife who I love more than anybody, who we agree on anything, she will not drive my car, our car, unless I back into our parking spot. If I pull in forward, she ain't driving the car, right? If I can't convince my wife to drive the car if I don't back it in, I don't like my chances of convincing somebody uh, that we need a tax cut who completely, completely disagrees with us. But where we have an opportunity across the country here is the people who don't have an opinion, I've never thought about it, right? I've never thought about how a scholarship could help somebody. I've never thought about school choice because maybe the public school in my area is good or maybe my kids go to private school and I've never thought about what would it be like to be poor and not have that option. And so we initially started polling on school choice and we found that the majority of people didn't have an opinion. That's where there's opportunity, right? Target those people. We did the same thing years ago. We ran a documentary about Speaker Mike Madigan. He's the most powerful politician in state history he was the speaker of the house in the state of illinois for 40 years and when we polled the james
0: currently facing corruption
1: charges that's right that's right uh there's a funny story about that where uh, years ago after we created a documentary because most people didn't have an opinion on him, they just didn't know didn't care and that's where we saw an opportunity those are the places to persuade and we did persuade we did by the end of it uh, by the end of his tenure. Uh, there was only 5% of the population who didn't have an opinion on Mike Madigan. And since we were the leaders who were talking about what had happened with Madigan, we started noticing a funny trend. Uh, You can track who's going on your website from where. And uh, we saw that the FBI was going on our website on average about three times a day. Uh, And at first, that's a rather alarming feeling. uh, And what we realized is they were only looking at uh, content regarding Mike Madigan where he gets his money, how he funnels it, where he changes it, how he creates rules, who's trying to lobby him, what they're paying him for. And uh, if you read the indictment of the Speaker, our former Speaker of the House, um, it reads an awful lot like our documentary and a lot of the, the content that we put out over the years. They ended up going on our website. The FBI went on our website over 1,200 times. Um, and we were able to see that. And, and ultimately we got a change there as well. So I think that's in the middle there, that's where our opportunity, people who don't know, don't care. That's where we can persuade. That's how we can change people's minds.
0: That's um, it, you raise a, you raise a really important point that I think is very different from the political conversation that people are used to hearing, which is um, politicians really care about you to vote. For, uh, uh, they want to tell people what they want to hear. They yep. want to talk to their to their likely voters. They're one of their most important things they can do is animate voters. Mm-hmm. Um, policy advocates think differently because their job is to actually persuade people in mm-hmm. cases of these sometimes arcane worlds of policy that the thing that there's better things that we could be doing. It doesn't necessarily fit these narratives, but we need to try and figure out how to persuade people, how to take That's something right. that, that 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 you've that you've demonstrated people don't have strong opinions about and then help them have a, a strong opinion about it. To take something from again uh something that is not popular and to make it popular because if you make something popular eventually the politics works itself out you can move the Overton window yes. you can move the
1: Overton window yes
0: that's right so, so i actually want to follow up with you on, on on that question which is this is the the issue you've got this credit it could expire it might not expire um uh, you are trying to to make this thing popular and to make it easy for lawmakers to to uh, re-up this program, or even expand it to more uh, to more participants.
1: You think that's clearly in the Overton window right now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's incumbent on us to fight for it. You know, I always think, James, I, I love Illinois, and I love fighting in Illinois, and in part because it's a blue state. Uh, where I think we really have opportunities across this country is not to go to places where everybody agrees with us, right? Uh, as much as I uh, would love to, I'm a former lobbyist myself. I, uh, I did it for several years. Uh, I worked in the state house for over seven years working on legislation. You know how easy it would be to go walk up into a Capitol in Florida and say, hey, I got this great bill, go introduce it. Um, but there's not, you know, we don't have 40,000 kids who are raising their hands who are saying, help me, I need it, right? And I think that's where... That's where we have, you know, there's a there's a feeling in this country, you know, that built the American dream. And it was on the idea of sacrifice. And I think what we need to look at is, is where are those blue states? You know, and unfortunately, Michigan, you know, has turned a, a is it turned a titch blue. But what I think that does is it creates huge opportunities for for us advocates to go fight, you know, on the side of the, the poor and the disadvantaged, the people who need our help. And we already have the moral high ground, and quite frankly, we have history that has proved us right on these fronts. But I think, first, public policy doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't, right? It doesn't have to just be white papers and, you know, nerding out over um, uh, different regression analysis. It can be fun and it can be fighting for people and standing on a team and saying, this is how we're going to lift people out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the amazing thing, you know, overall about this country. And uh, about free markets in general is because, you know, if we're being honest, three generations before us, we were poor. You know, for me, it it goes back closer than that. I've got grandparents who still live in the West suburbs here. Uh, They raised 13 kids in a two bedroom house with one bathroom. 13 kids. Right. by every measure that exists, they were under the poverty level. Right. But my grandfather, he never took a dollar of welfare benefits or any government assistance because he knew that through hard work, he could lift, lift himself up and his family up. All 13 of his kids go on. They go to school. They get jobs. And they've done amazing things. That's amazing. Right. Like, that's what the American dream can do. That's what hard work can do. And so I think oftentimes it's easy to get back into our corners of, of fighting for arcane tax policy and uh we get we get caught in the weeds of nerding out about it uh but i think we got an opportunity to go fight you know on the behalf of uh of our ancestors of the people who were poor who lifted themselves up and uh i'm running a rescue mission here in the city of chicago in the state of illinois you know to go fight with the the, the marginalized and the poor communities let's work on lifting them up and i think you guys Mackinac centers is, is is leading on that charge in the state of michigan as well uh and i i couldn't uh Commend to that more.
0: Well, thank you for that. I mean, I, I do think there's a, there is a special feeling that that you get when uh, when you're working on an issue and you find something really interesting that's gonna resonate with people and then you tell someone it and it resonates with them they've never heard it before no yeah. one else is going to tell them this message and uh, and you can light a fire in a place where, where no fire otherwise would have been lit um, yeah, that's especially right. if you can point them in the right direction to do some good things uh, and and I think a lot of the things that we can do are really surprising. No one else is going to try to convince them. I mean, the political narrative right. is filled with people telling you um, what you want to hear, and that your other side and that the other side is is bad and wrong. But the nitty-gritty of policy really matters. So, That's how, right.
1: how optimistic are you about Illinois? I'm really optimistic, and I'll, this is how I'll prove I'm, I'm optimistic. Um, I, uh, you know, Chicago is now my hometown, and this is my home state. And uh, we fought pretty hard. There was a great uh, opportunity to get a new mayor inside the city of Chicago, uh, and, and a great, uh, a great advocate for our policies, uh, lost by about one percent. I mean, it was razor thin. And, and you know, this the uh, a member of the Chicago Teachers Union became the new mayor of Chicago. Uh, and despite this, um, I just bought a house in the city of Chicago, right? And what I'm saying is, this is my home, and I'm going to go fight for this thing because I think. You know, what's impossible is, is really what we what we allow in our own imaginations. And I'll give you a quick example of this, James. You know, when you look at the state of Illinois and it's, it's easy to say, oh, look at Illinois, how bad things are going. Uh, you know, there was a while where all of our surrounding states went right to work. Right. And everybody said, Illinois, they, they can't do it. It can't go right to work. And so we went and found Mark Janice and we took a case all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. Right. And we won. And it freed the entire nation, not just Illinois, but the entire nation, so that people no longer have to join a public government union as a precondition of their employment, right? That's thinking outside the box and how you can solve the problems differently, right? We look at Illinois, we see this deep blue state, and they try to introduce a progressive tax, right? Changing, We have a flat income tax rate, and they try to change it to one of the, one of the base positions of the Democratic Party, which is we should tax the, tax the rich. And we went and educated people. And everybody said, it's going to pass here. It's going to pass. Initial approval was 68%. And we talked about it. And we talked about the harm that it would do to, to businesses, to families, and how this would continue to, to erode the, the base here. And it lost, right? It only got 46% of the vote. Most people said, I don't want this. Um, you know, there's, there's food cart, uh, people who are pushing food carts, and we got them legalized inside of the city of Chicago. It's school choice, it's one of the only blue states with a school choice program. And so what I think is that we should fight more in blue states and come up with creative ways, not just from the legislature, but come up with creative ways of of educating individuals, empowering individuals, and then finding different ways to, to uh, achieve our outcomes. And I think we we have done that quite well. And uh, I am optimistic that we are going to continue to do it here in uh, what I believe is, is one of the greatest states in America. Man, thank
0: you for coming on and good luck in your efforts to shift the James, window. I appreciate
1: it, my friend music